All right. Well, good morning. So, I uh, see mostly familiar faces, but if you don't know who I am, my name's Nate. I'm the worship pastor here, and I, normally you'll see me preaching on Wednesday nights, but uh, when, uh, when the redhead is not in town, you get stuck with me sometimes. So, we are going to be continuing uh, our series in James, uh, the faith series. And uh, so, we're starting chapter 5 today. And just real quick recap, you know, James, it's, it's the epistle for applied Christianity, uh, is one way to put it. That's why we called this study just faith. This is what, James is teaching us what faith should look like, what faith should, how it should play out in a Christian's life. So it's full of uh, practical and, you know, ap- applicable things. And he wants you to know, basically, what your belief Uh, how your belief should affect your behavior. Uh, And so in chapters 1 and 2, he he challenges us with, uh, you know, he talks about how our works matter, not as far as, you know, whether or not we're saved, but if you're a Christian, your works matter. Your faith isn't functioning if you're not serving in some way. Uh, In chapter 3, he talked about how your words matter, right? That uh, no one can tame the tongue and all that, that kind of stuff. In chapter 4, last week, we, t- we learned about how your heart matters. And so in chapter 5, he's kind of summing things up, and he's going to talk about how your perspective matters. You know, over the last uh, several months, I think we've all uh, began to feel that some of the early effects of what looks to be probably a, a long-term uh, recession um, I was looking through a few of the statistics, you know, just to, there's a a lot of stuff to sift through what's accurate and what's not, but near as I could tell, this is adjusted for inflation. Housing, uh, your house payment, costs about 400% more now than when I was born. I don't mean that it it went up 400%. It takes four times more of your income now than it did in the 70s. Uh, I mean, in the 90s, when I was born. (laughs) Even worse, college costs nearly 500% more. It's five times more expensive to pay for college. That's adjusted for inflation. uh, Without that, it's like 1,300% more or something like that. It's just unreal. Uh, You know, groceries are on the rise. Pretty soon, I think we might be having to eat our pets and stuff. I don't know. Gas prices are on the rise, although I looked into those numbers, and this, believe it or not, this is not the most expensive gas has ever been. Back in the 70s, there was a period, some of you may remember, when gas stations ran out of gas. It was uh, adjusted for inflation. It would have been a little over $6 a gallon today. The beginning of World War II, uh, which I think only Roger can remember, is it would be closer to $10 a gallon uh, today. So, so we're not quite there. Might be soon. I don't know. But either way, you know, the, we have to kind of look at ourselves and ask how should we respond? You know, how should we behave? How do we handle uh, uncertain times or troubled times? And so James lived in a very similar period in history. Uh, he, 
He's in Jerusalem, but they're under Roman rule, and at that time, Rome was a, a plutocracy, so basically all the power was determined by who had the money. Not much different today, I'd say. And Rome was kind of in its death throes. It was a crumbling empire. And so he's, he's kind of addressing a similar picture in, in, in history as to what we're encountering. So we're going to see what James can show us uh, about responding to troubled times and what our attitude or perspective can be. All that being said, let me pray for us and we'll get into it. All right. Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to, to worship, fellowship, uh, that we get to gather together freely and, uh, and study your word. Lord, we, uh, we just pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds today, that uh, setting biases aside, that we could look at the truth for what it is and be transformed by it. Lord, we, we just ask that we leave here today knowing you just a little bit better, being a little bit closer to you than when we arrived. Yeah, we pray for your blessing on the message, on the hearts of your people, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so James chapter 5, uh, verse 1. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like a fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. So he says, remember, these are the last days, is what James is saying. You know, Jesus is coming back, and you are thinking about your stuff uh, more than that. You're, you're, you're putting all of your eggs in the wrong basket, trusting your security to your stuff, when Jesus is coming back. And this is something that James would have heard Jesus teach on himself. In Matthew uh, chapter 6, you've probably heard this before, Jesus said this, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. See, there's that same wording that James is using. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A friend of mine uh, has, has done pretty well for himself, um, in part by investing in storage facilities. You know, the storage units. Where people pay him uh, to store all the stuff that they don't have room for in their homes because their home is full of stuff. So they spend more money to store the stuff so they can spend their money on more stuff. <laughs> it's a pretty good racket. It's just, you know, you, you have to wonder, uh, you know, how much is enough? 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, you know, we've, we've probably all heard people misquote this, that, that money is the root of evil, Right? Um, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I think we can all relate to that last little line, right? That, 
there's probably been a time where you took on a payment you wish you hadn't taken on. Or you had to work some overtime you didn't really want to work because you had to pay for the stuff, right? But I think what's funny is uh, nobody ever thinks that they're rich, right? If I ask you, what is rich? You would have probably a, a dollar figure in mind, right? It's if you make this much money or if you have this much money or this, kind, this many houses or whatever. And it's always somewhere beyond where I am, right? Uh, rich is always just a little bit more than what I have. Over the last few years, we've talked a lot about the 1%, right? Uh, in America, the top 1% make roughly 25 times what the bottom 99% make combined. That's a huge discrepancy, right? That's a huge gap. But if you make around $50,000 a year, uh, you are in the top 1.5% globally. So I guess we need to start talking about the top 0.5% or something, you know. Most, most people are in America are in the uh, top 1.5% globally. Uh, so, you know, we, we all have an idea of what rich is, but m for many people in the world, they would consider you rich. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, this, is, this was written by Solomon, uh, who basically was the richest man to ever live. If we, we look at his, the riches that he amassed and the land holdings and all that, um, even Elon Musk wouldn't compare. But he said this, he said, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And this is meaningless or vanity, it's empty. Now, I say all that not to shame you or guilt trip you, okay? Uh, God, we can get the wrong impression sometimes. God doesn't hate rich people. Even though, you know, it talks about how it's so difficult for a rich man to enter into heaven and all that. He doesn't hate rich people. Uh, what he's against is having an attitude uh, that is tied to the stock market. You know, but trusting in your financial security rather than God, like Roger was talking about earlier. He has a problem with that. Uh, and so James is describing people who he sees in the church who are, uh, you know, they're in troubled times, and they're amassing more and more wealth, and they're starting to hoard that wealth and their possessions. Something that runs counter to the teachings of Jesus. See, you can't hoard and be generous at the same time. They, they, they don't go together. Um, there's an old saying, you know, that he, God can't pour into a clenched fist. You know, if you're holding too tightly to what you've got, there's probably no room for anything more. We'll read on here. We'll go back to verse 3. James 5, verse 3. He says, Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you. There will be a witness against you. In other words, like this is this uh, the thing that you look to for you know prestige or whatever actually counts against you in a way. 
Like if some, you ever see those headlines of, you know, poor old miser dies and it turns out he's worth $10 million or whatever. Um, you know, we look at that and we're like, what a fool, right? He just wasted his life trying to amass all that wealth. But the reality is, if you, you know, if you die with a, a balance in your bank account, you kind of did it wrong, you know? Um, because you can't take any of it with you. Now, there's something to be said. The Bible does say that, it, uh, you know, a righteous man looks out for his family and, and provides even for the next generation. Uh, but I want to die with high credit card ba- balances and owing the government like a million dollars and just laugh my way into heaven, you know. I'm just, not really, but well, maybe a little. Uh, he says, your gold and your silver have rusted. Their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. So he, James wrote this letter uh, about a decade or so before uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. So uh, this guy Titus Vespasian, he invades uh, Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. And by the time he's done, there are no rich Jews remaining. All the people that James is writing this letter to, they lose everything. Uh, everything they stored up for themselves is gone. So here's our first principle, my first tip for you uh, in, in troubled times. In troubled times, resist the urge to hoard and become inwardly focused. When you get too focused on yourself, that's a problem. How many, uh, I'm wondering how many people just thought of the, the store of uh, toilet paper in their basement <laughs> while I was talking about that. In troubled times, resist the urge to hoard and get too inwardly focused. Because that urge to hoard and amass more and more and more can lead to the next thing that James points out in verse 4. He says, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those uh, who did the harvesting, has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. So that word's a little interesting. Uh, you read that and you may think that says Sabbath. It's a different word, it's Sabaoth. Uh, if you're reading the NIV, it might say Almighty. I think the NLT renders it uh, Heaven's Armies. It's a weird word, but it basically does mean that. It's, uh, it means Heaven's Army, the Lord of Heaven's Army, the Lord of all power, right? Uh, that... The, the cries of these people have reached the ears of the almighty, all-powerful God. And But what he's talking about, he says these wealthy folks and their desire to amass more wealth uh, have become cheapskates. Right? Because that's, that's something to keep in mind. A lot of our, our biggest problems, our weaknesses, are strengths that get out of balance. Right? It's good for you to be frugal and good with your money. When that gets out of balance, now you're a tightwad and a cheapskate, and that's not good, right? But they, they, they started to get so cheap that they're not paying their workers on time, or maybe even at all. And so the concept is, is that making money by oppression, uh, that reaches the ears of 
a mighty and vengeful God. In other words, God does not take that lightly. So what, what's that, you know, what's that look like? So like living indulgently without regard for others is basically what he's getting at. Um, so I'll ask you a couple things. How do you treat service workers? If you don't tip, there is a place in outer darkness for you, I think, you know. Uh, how comfortable, here's, this one may hit a little closer to home. How comfortable are you with purchasing something that involved oppression of the poor to produce it? Everyone with a smartphone probably just got a little uncomfortable, right? So James, is, he's, he's reminding us that, look, it's, it's not worth you saving that extra dollar to oppress someone or to treat someone poorly or to mistreat the poor. So in troubled times, uh, don't take advantage of people or mistreat people. We'll read on here, verse 5. He says, uh, You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. And you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So these people, they're spending lavishly uh, on things they don't need. So that's, a, again, simple concept, right? In troubled times, uh, don't become self-indulgent. Now, you would think in troubling financial times, you wouldn't need to tell people that. But all the statistics say otherwise. In recessions, people tend to spend more. Um, these people were spending lavishly in a time when, uh, you know, they're, they're getting ready to face some real persecution, and they know it. So you have to, you know, check yourself. How much house do I actually need? You know, what, when does a vacation become extravagant? Or, uh, you know, when does uh, the price of a meal just become obscene? To be aware of the line between need and, and greed, between necessary and indulgent. Right? Now, I'm not saying you can't have nice things. But there's a line for each of us where it becomes indulgent. See, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. In this letter, J, or Paul was talking about you know, how to give, and that God doesn't give you a certain number you're supposed to give and doesn't force you to do it. He wants you to do it, to do it freely and joyfully and all that. But he says, he makes sure that God made sure that you have everything you need. Anything you have beyond that, he has supplied to you in part so that you can meet another need. If you have more than you need, God didn't just give that to you so you could take another vacation. It could be that he's equipping you to be his hands here on earth to, to meet someone else's need. Because the sad fact is, the richer people are, the less, gener the less generous they become. The higher your income, the lower percentage you are likely to give uh, to charity. Now, you may give a higher dollar amount, but the percentage goes down the higher your income. The people who have the most to give, give the least, basically. 
And I'm not just talking about church, it's just in general. Um, so, if you've been blessed, awesome. Enjoy yourself, uh, but know that part of why you have more than you need is so that uh, you'll be ready to meet another person's need when it comes up, when it presents itself. So, I'd encourage you to resist the urge to, uh, to think that you deserve your blessings more than someone else. Because I know some of us, we work really hard for what we have, right? And you see someone who doesn't have anything, and you think, well, they didn't work as hard as me. And so I deserve this, and they don't. But 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, Paul says this. He says, who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, just check yourself. Do you really believe you worked harder than a coal miner for what you have? Maybe you did. Do you really believe you were more devoted than a single mom working two jobs in a third world country? I would venture to say you probably aren't. You probably don't love your family more than that lady loves hers. So the, the principle is if you're going to boast about something, if you're going to brag about something, let it be the Lord and his goodness, right? Give him the glory. You know, I love every time Pastor Chris leaves town, he managed to, manages to leave town when it's, we're in a passage like, you know, wives submit to your husbands or here's about giving or whatever. I think he does it on purpose. I always have to give the browbeating sermons, but... But no, it's just something to check ourselves on, right? Are, are we being self-indulgent? We'll read on here. James 5, verse 6. It says, uh, You have condemned and put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. Now, I don't think they were, uh, I don't think the people in the church were literally, you know, killing people. Uh, because of their wealth, but what it is is they're overlooking injustice. So that's principle number four here. Our, my tip in troubled times is don't overlook injustice. You may think, well, I, you know, I've got enough to worry about, right, without worrying about the world's problems. Uh, or I'm not going to risk my job by speaking up against this injustice. Of course, at the end of chapter 4 in James, he just told us that if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's what? Sin. It's sin. Yeah. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 15, he says, uh, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. In other words, you are not your stuff. And for many of us, we've tied our, our self-worth to that. So don't be afraid to do the right thing because it might affect you financially. All right, so in light of all this stuff, in the last six verses, in light of the fact that the, the cries of the poor and victims of greed and injustice have reached the ears of, you know, the Lord God Almighty, King of Heaven's armies, uh, in light of the fact that judgment is coming, that, you know, we're in the last days, he says, what should we do? Right, I've told you a bunch of things we shouldn't do. What should we do? 
So in verse 7, James 5, verse 7, he says, Therefore, be patient. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. So you notice he doesn't say, you know, you've been oppressed by the rich, so let's burn this mother down. <laughs> let's eat the rich. No, he, he, he says, you know, I want you to, to be patient and wait. wait. Waiting does not equal inaction. And he uses a farmer as an example. Now, some of us, we may think, okay, they plant everything in the spring, and then they don't do anything until the fall. What's the big deal, right? Is that how it works, Dave? Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. No, I think uh, an impatient farmer is going to be a miserable farmer, right? Because what you've got to do is, yes, you plant, but then there's, you've got to fertilize, you've got to work on your equipment so that it works when you bring stuff in in the fall. There's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. So even though there's this waiting period, it doesn't mean it's inaction. It's being patient and doing what I know I need to do, what I'm supposed to do in the meantime, and knowing that, trusting God that the harvest will come. So he's talking about, you know, patient faithfulness without being discouraged by the circumstances. Because we're going to be in some difficult times. And if you look around at the circumstances, you can feel the urge to give up. Or, or you know, this faithfulness thing isn't working because someone else got ahead by lying, so why don't I do that? So practical, how, does, how do we apply this stuff? He reminds us, right, that things are not how they should be in the world. But one day Jesus is going to set it right. right? That's, that's one of the, the guiding principles we see all through Scripture is, yes, I know, God, I, I'm the God of justice. I know that there is injustice in the world. Just trust me, I'm going to take care of it. You just turn to me and trust me in the meantime. So you continue to stand against injustice. You do your job well even when you don't agree with your boss. Uh, you keep praying even when you don't see immediate results. You keep sharing your faith even if uh, you don't, it doesn't seem like anybody's listening. And then in verse 9, he tells us something. I totally failed this the other day, I'll be honest. He says, do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Like I said, I failed this the other day. I, had, I was having a day where, you know, I don't have to describe it, I guess. You, you've had those days too, right? And uh, Pastor Ben actually called me, and he says, how are you doing? And I'm like, you don't want to know. And I unloaded on him, and I, then I felt bad immediately afterward, and then I start working on this sermon, and I'm like, oh, great, you know. <laughs> but he, uh, he points out, he says, as an example of suffering and patience, of being patient in troubled times, 
Think of the prophets. Now, most of the prophets were not wealthy. Uh, most of them, you know, lived pretty destitute lives, basically. But they were blessed, even though they didn't, the circumstances may not have looked like it. And that's why, you know, like the, the prosperity teachers t- today in the modern church, I think, are the, the most shameful, one of the most shameful stains on the church. The, the idea that, a, you know, a, a faithful person will be wealthy. Uh, the, the Bible I read says Jesus was homeless, so that doesn't add up to me. But he says, consider these people who they were faithful and they still had trouble in their lives. Then he goes on in verse 11, he says, we count those blessed who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So then, you know, he says, most of the prophets didn't have much of anything. But let's talk about this guy, Job. And if you're familiar with the story, Job was wealthy. Job had a lot of blessings in this world. And uh, long story short, the devil approached God and he says, well, yeah, of course he's righteous because you gave, gave him all this stuff. And he says, all right, I give you permission to take all this stuff and let's see what happens. And, and he, Job goes through a terrible time. He loses uh, his crops, his animals, his children. He keeps his wife, um, <laughs> loses his health. I know there's a joke there, but the reality is uh, God said you can't harm, you can't take his life, and the Bible says that once you're married, the two become one. So she was part of Job. That's not as funny as the other way, but anyway. Uh, but he goes through all this stuff, and, and through all of that, Job didn't sin against God with his mouth. He didn't grumble and complain. Even though his wife gives him the advice, just curse God and die. Thanks, honey. So he says, that's our example. So, tip number five. uh, In troubled times, don't be impatient. James says that grumbling uh, leads to a judgmental spirit, and it reveals a a lack of patience. You know, when we're miserable, uh, misery loves what? Company. That's right. We want to make everyone around us miserable. And the reality is, usually when we grumble, uh, when we complain, we're drawing conclusions without all the information. He says, you're judging people. The judge, the one who can judge fairly, is at the door. Just wait for him. But we like to hyper-focus on all the injustices in our lives and all the things that aren't fair. And then we lose sight of how God uh, might be using those things to teach us something. Or we lose sight of all the things that are good or, or all the blessings that we have that aren't fair, right? He, he blesses us in spite of us. And then in verse 12, this, this is where we'll probably leave off. We get another concept here. This is number six. Uh, so in troubled times, make sure you have integrity. He says, but above all, my brethren... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Now, he's not saying don't use bad words, although that's probably not a good idea either. He says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So, I'm impatient, I'm grumbling, maybe I'm saying some things I don't mean, uh... 
And the more you run your mouth, the more likely you'll say something you'll regret. The Bible says that uh, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. That's why you have one mouth and two ears. So James, he's not concerned with the wording, right? This, it, the foul language shouldn't be part of your vocabulary, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that swearing an oath shouldn't be necessary in your life. Right? To convince me that you're telling the truth, you shouldn't have to go, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Right? You should be so truthful that there's no need to swear or to take an oath or any of that. So that means you don't exaggerate or over-embellish. Uh, you don't stretch the truth to avoid your share of the responsibility in whatever just went wrong. You don't tell people what they want to hear in order to get something from them. I'm looking at you, salesman. Try not to look at anybody in particular. Sorry, right, so let's, uh, real quick, we'll, re we'll uh, review and then we'll wrap this up. So we've got, I think, six main points, right? Don't hoard or become overly inwardly focused. Uh, you don't take advantage or mistreat people. Don't become self-indulgent. Don't overlook injustice. You don't be impatient. And don't lose your integrity. So I'll ask you this. Has your fuse been a little short lately? Find yourself complaining more? Or when somebody asks you how you're doing, you feel like you have to lie? Are you distracting yourself by spending uh, money even though you're worried about money? That's the weird thing about human beings. It's, we, we trace it all through history of, uh, of economies in the Western world, and that's what happens. Troubled times, we spend more money that we don't have. Maybe you're really nervous about the future, and uh, you've been building up a little stockpile just in case. Uh, Whatever your anxiety, I'm going to go back and read one verse that we covered earlier. James 5, verse 8. He says, you too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Tough times are coming. And so is Jesus. Amen? All right, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for uh, giving us this opportunity to study your word. And we thank you that we know that you provide all that we need and so much of what we want. God, we're just asking today that uh, open, open our eyes to the areas where we've fallen short of this, where we've fallen into the, into the trap that James described. Lord, I, I pray for peace in the hearts and lives of everyone listening to this. Pray that you give us patience and that we would, in a, in a dark time, that we would be a light, that we would handle it differently so that people would see the joy we have and ask, and we'd have the opportunity to share the good news of you. Lord, we thank you that you provide, that you blessed, that you love, that you are against injustice, 
that you are the Almighty. And we pray that you come and come quickly. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, ready? Break.